0: Hi everyone and welcome back to But Where Are You From? If you're here for the first time, welcome, welcome. My name is Viv Yao and I am the host of this podcast. I'm a British-born Chinese person uh, in her late 20s, nearly 30, living in Manchester. And I talk about my life as being a British-born Chinese person. I had the absolute pleasure of talking with Su Chung, the author of Chinglish, which is a young adult book based almost entirely on a true story of Sue's life growing up in the 80s as a takeaway kid. She talks about being bullied at school, harassed by customers in the takeaway, uh, navigating her identity as a british Chinese person, as well as covering some really deep and complex family dynamics. It truly was the first book I've ever read which I could relate to as a British takeaway kid and I was so honoured to be able to speak with Sue. We had a really nice wag and gossip after the recording and I just love it when you meet someone who lives up to your expectations and surpasses those expectations. She was a true delight so I hope you enjoy and just to let you know there is a trigger warning as there are themes of domestic abuse throughout the episode. (music) So, hi, Sue, and welcome to But Where Are You From? Thanks very much, babe, for inviting me.
1: I'm dead excited about this.
0: Oh, well, thank you for joining us. Like, I, obviously, being a big fan of the book and, and following your work, it's just such an honour to have you on. So, thank you for taking the time to join us. It's very thank exciting. You.
1: Thank you. Yeah, no, do you know, it's really weird because... <laughs> um I I just think you know I just think of myself as completely unremarkable and Not <laughs> like at all. Just Not and at people all. are just inviting me to talk on these podcasts and things and I'm just like well you know I'm just kind of an ordinary writer really but you you, know. you
0: are far from that and I think your journey kind of speaks for itself really um I think you are far from unremarkable <laughs> the amount the amount of um trauma that you're you know you've gone through and and the fact that you've kind of like you've been a phoenix rising from the ashes and and come out of it and it's it's incredible it's an incredible story so yeah I'm I'm and I'm also just really honored that your your book Chinglish is just so significant it's the the first ever the first book I've ever read that talks about takeaway life in any way, shape, or form. And it truly means a lot for someone like me who had similar in some ways and very different in other ways, um, that type of representation in the publishing world, honestly, it it meant so much just to read something and be like, I totally get that part of it, like the takeaway life and just having to work and help out the family. Um, It it truly is kind of a big significant moment, I think, for a lot of uh, British Chinese people who grew up in takeaways
1: which is really weird because when I wrote it, like it wasn't even my idea, uh, the book wasn't my idea at all. It was my agent's idea. Because before I wrote Chinglish, hmm. I was just writing um, and illustrating picture books for kids. It was just a fun hmm. thing that I was doing. And then my agent asked me about my childhood and um, I told him about being dragged up into a takeaway in Coventry. Hmm. And he, was, um, he said, loads of people are gonna wanna know about that. And I was like, what, really? No like you know some working class girl in coventry growing up in a takeaway i don't think so and and also as well i'd been trying to kind of um sweep all of that under the carpet because um Mm. it was just it was just um kind of such trauma growing up in that environment for me and uh, yeah because loads of different issues and i just didn't want to talk about it at all i kind of like um put it past me and um, I didn't really want to go digging it all up again Mm. so um, I said no I don't want to write this book I don't want people to know about my past I don't Mm. I I just want to keep it all hidden away um, and you know I just want to get on with the future yeah and um, he said well why don't you just um, write a paragraph uh, and then just see how it goes Mm. I was like why is he why is he so like adamant for me to kind of do this so I was like right okay I'll go home and you know I've got a few funny anecdotes. Well, actually quite a lot of um, funny yeah, anecdotes. Yeah, it is
0: hilarious.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I thought I'll just send them something funny. And um, and back then I didn't realise that um, I, I was using all these different sort of coping mechanisms to um, deal and cope with all the past trauma. So, so while I was growing up Mm. and with my siblings as well, we use humour as um, a coping mechanism. Mm. So we always turned like some, you know, disaster into something funny (laughs) so that we could deal with it. Because if you didn't laugh, you'd just cry, you know, you'd just be Mm. miserable the whole time. Mm.
0: Um,
1: So I wrote um, something for my agent and um, sent it over to him. And he came back straight away going, oh my God, this is amazing. Uh, We need you to write the whole thing. And I was like, "Uh," and he went, You've got a natural voice you can write for older kids um you know why don't you give it a go and i was like mm, i don't know mm. uh, I, I wasn't sure still about revealing everything about the past yeah even if it was just all the funny bits but yeah. then i was just thought to myself well if it's gonna be a funny book for really for much younger kids then i can cope with that i can make a book just yeah. funny mm. so i started writing it and um i kind of envisioned visioning it as a kind of uh, like a mid-grade book so for eight to 12 year olds Mm. um and just making it funny um and it wasn't until I was kind of about a quarter or a third of the way through my agent because I told him the warts and all story about my childhood Mm. so he knew all the dark bits and he was like Sue why don't you um why don't you be, be a bit more honest about your childhood and write about all the, you know, the darker bits mm. <laughs> and I was like, Oh God, no, now I'm not really sure about this. I don't know. I don't like where this is going. Um, and, uh, yeah, it took me a while to get my head bound and, and he said, look, I don't want to tip you over the edge with this. If you don't want to go there. Don't. And he said, but you know, potentially there's going to be a lot of readers who's mm. going to relate to yeah. these views of yours, these situations that you went through and, um, and you'll be helping them in the long run. <laughs> and I was like, well, because I'm all about helping people, and I and I thought if this book's going to help people, then yeah, you know, oh, yeah. okay, the 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 hardship and the heartache and the trauma of writing it is going to be worth it. So. Yeah did
0: it in the end. for for those for those listeners who who haven't heard of the book before and in terms of that trauma obviously we don't want to give the entire book away but i felt like when i was reading it i had a bit of a heads up from two friends amy and Mayan, who had read the book uh, prior to me and they recommended it <clears throat> and they both said it it takes a dark turn and then I tweeted about the book and then you, you even tweeted saying I'm sorry that it takes such a, like a, a dark turn in the book oh, oh, and then yeah. I was like oh god I didn't know what it was going to be and then throughout the book there's a lot of racism in the 80s, it was rife that sense of kind of like being alone and not having your community and then also talking about your dad and and the traumatic experience of like domestic abuse within the family. You can see it quite clearly in the book that turn from when it goes from very funny and it can easily be a very light-hearted book into that type of topic which is so important to talk about but also I'm I'm sure as someone who has experienced that it must have been a mixture of emotions to be able to write about that and think about that again.
1: Yeah, it was, I mean, thinking about it now, I'm just like, how oh, did, because I don't know how other the writers work, but when when I'm writing a scene, I need to play it all in my head and it's all kind of in minute detail. It's all in technicolor And then, yeah. you know, you're replaying it in your head and, and then you have to write it down as well. And it was really difficult, like talking about the, the, um, you know, the domestic violence and the racism and the bullying at school and everything. Mm. Um, so the the book is in a diary format, and uh, the way that I wrote it was that, I, you know, I was fooling myself, and a lot of people. It's like um, you know social media where you only put the bit, good bits of yeah. your life. There, do you know did, what I mean? Did you so actually
0: write a diary when you were younger? Then.
1: I did. Do you know what I kept diaries, but I chucked them all away, so I didn't oh. have anything to refer back to. So oh. when I talk to kids these days at schools and stuff, and I always yeah. tell them, you know you know when they ask me do you have any um tips for aspiring writers and I'll always say keep notepads keep diary don't chuck them out because Mm. there's going to be loads of stuff in there that you can um dig out later on you know yeah um so I had to just um rely on my memory which is very kind of like failing
0: (laughs) 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 I thought (laughs) I I genuinely thought it was like oh my gosh how does she remember all these things from when she was younger because I I've blocked out so many things when I was a kid
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, I think a lot of them, the funny ones, uh, anecdotes, especially, I yeah. just re- retold and retold to people as I was, mm. you know, you know, at parties and stuff like that. It always got a laugh. So I was like, oh, I just tell that one again then, you know, because a lot <laughs> of people don't believe some of the stories. Well. Like
0: the exploding goat. So did that actually yeah, happen? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Well, you know, um, a little bit of artistic license there, I think. <laughs> Fair
0: enough. <laughs> I wouldn't
1: enough. call it exploding, but maybe imploding more like, but anyway.
0: Oh,
1: gross um, either way. <laughs> I, yeah think there are words for it to be honest Mm. Uh, until unless you've been through it yourself you just especially when you're a kid you're like what's happening with the goat yeah there's just you know this thing's coming out of it from every orifice (laughs) and (laughs) by the way you know this animal cruelty was not on our part was not our fault it was the goat goat being greedy
0: yeah
1: Uh, you know what goats are like (laughs) um so uh yeah the dark bits uh so yes diary format so um i started off the diary just writing all the good things now you know like Mm. social media you know, this this yeah. happened. and then kind of like halfway through i kind of write in the diary look i just can't keep this to myself any longer mm. and i've got one else to talk to because i didn't have many friends at all mm. and of course we didn't have the internet back then so we couldn't go on these forums and share with other people you yeah just, if anything went wrong and you know if you didn't have your parents to talk to and the tea you know there wasn't much help at school those days either you're pretty much left to fend for yourself mm. so then i thought I'll put it in the diary but you know I'm just gonna talk to the diary I've got no one else to talk to I'm just gonna put all the crap stuff in you know, from now on as well yeah because I'm just kidding myself otherwise and I've got to have this outlet do you know what mm. I mean because I've got no one else to to share this with it's just yeah. gonna come out somehow mm. um yeah, the uh, yeah, and the, yeah, it was very difficult to kind of write about the the dark bits, definitely.
0: No, I can only imagine. And, and when you were writing that, that um, the book, did you speak with your siblings? What are their actual? Because I've got Simon and Bonnie down as their names, but what yeah. uh, what's their actual? Yeah.
1: So my actual uh, their actual names are so Simon is actually John, and he lives yeah. in Oregon in the states. Oh no. And Bonnie is uh, Mo. And mm. she lives in um, Sydney, Australia. And it's no accident they're actually the furthest away they can get from my parents. Oh, okay? my gosh. And they, yeah. yeah, and they've, they've admitted this themselves. Um, mm. My little brother, Larry, in the book, when he's a baby Yes, in the book. of
0: course, yeah, Larry, yeah, yeah the baby. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yes, the baby. Um, he <laughs> actually still lives with my parents, so he's 36 now. He's called Richard. Yeah. And he still lives with my parents.
0: Oh, I see, and and so I I really enjoyed like uh, the interactions that you had with with your older brother and and with uh, with Bonnie as well <laughs> in the book uh, because it seemed like a very like it seemed like loving but in not a very like not an affectionate way you know like siblings are like I think I'm quite similar with my sister like I would never tell them that I love them ever yeah and we berate each other and we're sometimes really mean to each other but we know deep down that we we obviously like care for one another and like Simon he lived away with your your grandparents for a while um and I I felt that sense of like oh I really really wanted you two to be a team together and, and for you to kind of like go through what you went through with your parents especially your dad together
1: i think that it what saved me was the fact that we were all actually very close like, yeah. like you said we did fight but actually i was um, and i still am very close to my siblings
0: mm. um
1: and uh yeah i mean it was it was a good thing i think for my older brother that he didn't have to put up with a lot that i had to put up with yeah um yeah but, but he still actually went through enough for him to just think, I need to just get out of this, yeah. like, this dynamic, this
0: family yeah. setup. Yeah. yeah. And then would you? Um, how often would you kind of confide in each other growing up then into, or console each other in terms of like traumatic experiences that happened?
1: Um, well, with my older brother, mm. me and my older brother have gone through this. I don't know what his spiritual journey was, but mine was kind of <laughs> starting to meditate and do yoga and read self-help books and things like that. Mm. But we're we're actually on um, the the same level where we kind of understand it from that kind of angle. Whereas my little sister for a very, very long time, she couldn't even talk about the past and the family and everything. Mm. I couldn't, you know, every time I mentioned anything about family from the past, she would kind of switch off and uh, and just all get defensive. And so I just then knew Mm. not to go there. Do you know what I mean? My little brother's a little bit different. Um, he actually has suffered quite a lot, actually, and yeah. he has clinical depression. Right. Um, uh, even though he lives in the same house as my parents, they don't really ever speak. But that's the, the other thing as well. Mm. The kids hardly speak any Chinese, yeah. and then my mum hardly speaks any English, and then my dad doesn't just, just like talking, <laughs> so yeah. we never ever communicated ever, yeah. never ever sat down and had a proper conversation. And the only Chinese that we actually, well, the only communication we did have with each other was in the takeaway. So it was all takeaway speak, you know, yeah. out orders and doing the orders and all that kind of thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's just a really weird uh, relationship that we have with mm. our parents
0: yeah it yeah. it's it's quite interesting because i think that's where like the similarities for me like i felt like that was very different to my up- upbringing in a lot of ways you know like i could relate to the takeaway side of things but then in terms of the communication it it i felt it was um, obviously very transactional and and there was a big language barrier there and uh, so- I can't even imagine how difficult that must have been. Um, and you talk a lot about that in the book as well. How did that kind of shape you in terms of feeling Chinese? Because a lot of I know I've certainly had it when my relatives have been like, "Your Chinese is shocking," and like berated me for it. Um, yeah, yeah. How did you feel about that kind of growing up?
1: It was just, um, it was just so difficult because um, we'd have friends and family come around because I literally could not speak a word of, of Chinese. Well, mm. I could, but it was kind of like toddler level. So I couldn't hold a yeah. conversation. Mm. So we'd have like friends and family come around and they would say, oh, your children's uh, Chinese is terrible. And then my mum would go, yeah, yeah, it is, isn't it? They're just not very bright sort of thing. And we'd be <laughs> like, well, you didn't like teach us, So how, yeah. how could we uh, converse? But oh, it was, it, there's so many different kind of like, um, sort of facets to this because my mum uh, she stopped going to school when she was 13 This mm. is these are the little things that I know yeah. about my parents um, because she stopped at home to look after her younger brother and sister, she was the oldest I think mm. she had like seven brothers and sisters yeah. so her education stopped quite early on mm. so for her, education doesn't have much value uh, she doesn't really understand the meaning of it um, yeah. uh, my dad, he just really wasn't interested in his kids' lives at all mm. Um and uh, yeah, I mean, even when Western people at school mm. um, asked uh, asked me every, occasionally, "Oh, how do you say this in Chinese? Or that in Chinese?" And and even then, I was like, "Well, I don't, I don't know." Yeah,
0: I can tell, you, I
1: can tell you every single item on the menu. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that helps. <laughs> That's so funny. Didn't even yeah.
1: Yeah, it was a kind of like you know the whole fitting in kind of thing. You just didn't know where you belonged mm. because you were neither there or here or there. And then you look different as well. So you didn't look right at school. Mm. So you didn't fit in there. And then when you were at home, you couldn't speak Chinese. And so you didn't fit in there either. So oh you gosh. just weren't, you weren't really fully mm. immersed in one culture or the other. Yeah. So you are floating around really. But at that time when you were a kid, you don't know you're just floating around. No. Floating around. Yeah. You just feel a bit weird. Like, <laughs> why do I feel weird? Yeah. You know? But do you know what? I think every adolescent feels weird for some reason or yeah. another.
0: Don't yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I guess, you know, just even without kind of like identity and stuff like that, we, we do struggle with kind of like a sense of belonging, but throwing in language barriers, cultural barriers, looking different to the norm, as in white people, like yeah. that is it's gonna it's gonna mess with you, it is going to really shape your it psyche and, and how you oh. feel about the world and who you are as a person.
1: And it did, you know, it totally did mess me up. And back then, I didn't really know what was going on. Mm. And, and I didn't for a very, very, very long time until I was, like, in my 30s or whatever. I mean, yeah. I'm 49 now. Mm. Because when I left school... And, sorry, when I left home... Um, I don't want to do any spoilers on the book or anything, but I actually managed to escape the takeaway. And I was, like... Um, went to London. And yeah. um, the world is my oyster because I, I was given all these opportunities. And yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this is brilliant, you know, we're starting a new life um but when you grow up in such a sp- dysfunctional family you have you're so naive you haven't got a mm. clue about contraception drugs booze anything like that mm. and so I got pregnant straight away oh and not just that I had actually ended up living in a squat in King's Cross when a while I was pregnant wow but at the time I was like well this is life this is this is you know mm. I, this is my lot
0: yeah
1: uh, you know um I, I didn't know really the circumstances that got me there really because I was yeah. still so naive about everything mm. I just kind of just had to get on with it you know yeah
0: of course that's uh, thank you so much for sharing that you know and you know I think reading the book and kind of what you've been through it's no it's no wonder because you don't have that sense of like home and and people and belonging community and so being thrust into especially going down to London uh, you know a really scary and lonely city uh, for someone for so uh, so so young because you were was it 16 that you went um I was
1: uh I was 18 yeah so there's a few kind of differences in the book so I was 18 right
0: you're 18 that's still so young isn't it to go to go somewhere by yourself
1: but I had like the brain of a twelve year old.
0: But do you know what? Back then Young at heart.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, still am. Um, but back, back then, um, actually, looking back on it now, going to London with that naivety is actually <laughs> actually quite fun. Because you because you because you don't know the dangers and you don't know like <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. You don't know all the things that all the obstacles and the things that are going to hold you back. You just go for it. And actually mm. I, had, I had quite a lot of fun as well um but yeah but then I had all the extremes basically
0: yeah of course and and I I really wanted to like I really wanted the book to continue when it kind of like you started your journey because it ended on a, a good note and then from reading about you and and hearing about kind of like you end up living in a squat and getting pregnant at 18 and everything like that is just so fascinating and then I know that obviously you you had a time of working in advertising as a as an art director for a while how did you get into Oh, I used to work in advertising okay. myself. Um, yeah, i used to oh, work in an right. oh, advertising agency. What, what were you doing in the advertising? I was an agency? I was an account exec at the time, oh, and then right. um, I, and then I uh, yeah I loved it. i Worked for a, a big agency in Manchester, like a, a called TBWA. Um, so they've got offices. All
1: over. Oh yeah, yeah, I know it. Yeah, yeah. yeah
0: so yep. I used to do that yes. for a while.
1: It's a hard life in the ad agency, isn't it? So really long hours. and. Oh.
0: How was it? How was it in the, was it in, when was well, it in the 80s, 90s that you again. were? Yeah.
1: Oh, it was like the Wolf of Wall Street back then. <laughs> <laughs> it totally was, I tell you. Yeah. The things we got away with was just completely mm. mental. Um, <laughs> but like, I mean, again, I have no idea how I ended up there really, because it was just one of these, you know, like I was so young and naive that I was just kind of going with the flow. Mm. And I was like, right, OK, so uh, I went to art school, uh, got my qualification and then I started off. Well, I basically sent a CV, CVs out to all these ad agencies. And um, back then, my CV, I did it in comic strip style. Wow, and cool. a lot of people picked that up because mm. I, I um, at uh, the ad, uh, uh, sorry, at art college, I um, specialised in art direction and visualisation because I've always been dead sort of like creative mm. visual- of drawing and art and all that kind of thing and uh oh yeah so it's while I was doing art a level that my art teacher said to me oh you should be a visualizer and I was like what the hell is that <laughs> you know it's like yeah. oh because you're really good at like thinking of things in your head and then putting them down on paper like you know just drawing what's in your head straight yeah. down onto paper and I was like I've never heard of that job all right I'll just go for it <laughs> I had no idea they were our that was our internet back then was like you know people, people. telling us word of mouth yeah so um so I got picked up by an ad agency as a junior. And then I just worked my way up from there, really. And then, um, I'm... yeah, so uh, one of the sad stories is um, that I was so um, messed up that after I had the baby, after mm. I had my son, Ryan, he has got a name. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I've got a really good the relationship baby. with him right now, uh, at the moment anyway. So, uh, <laughs> so, so that's good. Mm. Um, so I actually abandoned him when he was seven.
0: Because
1: mm. I just couldn't cope with the home life anymore. I just couldn't cope with um, my messed up head. Mm. I couldn't. I, I just didn't know what was going on. Um, I was living up in up north at the time, so this none of this is. Um, well, actually, I'll tell you in a minute about the sequel to English. But um, mm. I left uh, the family home and left my uh, my son's dad to look after him while I w- I went down to London to live uh, permanently, mm. and that's where I kind of. Um, managed to kind of uh, be successful in my career as an art director, actually, and Mm. uh, I got quite high up, actually. Uh, I don't know how, because it was just a massive, (laughs) like I said, it was just a haze of back then in the 80s, in the 90s, it was like the Wolf of Wall Street and everyone was just coping, running on adrenaline. Mm. Um, So that's how I ended up doing art direction in ADHS. yeah Yeah.
0: wow thank you for sharing that um because I I did want to ask you as well obviously like knowing that you had your son um and how how your experience of growing up has potentially shaped your parenting style and and how that's come to be it was
1: it was terrible it was terrible Mm. at the time I didn't know I mean I was just a kid myself yeah and I was very um immature emotionally mentally everything um so I had the baby and uh i was like well okay Mm. i've got a kid but back then i was a little bit lucky because i was living up north uh on a i was living in a council house on a council estate yeah Uh, loads of the people like i knew were unemployed and i was at the time as well so i was on the dole and Mm. so we actually had quite a like There was actually quite a good community spirit Mm. where there was lots of young parents with young kids yeah so i had that support um from that community back then Mm. um And also back then, uh, um, bringing up kids was a lot more kind of just a bit gung-ho. Yeah. Because uh, we didn't, of course, we didn't have the internet. So Mm. it was, uh, you know, if a kid got ill, give them, I don't know, cover them in calamine lotion, Mm. or give them some castor oil. (laughs) Whatever it is until they get better. Yeah. It was just kind of like, um, just
0: uh, trial and error, really. I've set up a coffee.com page, so basically if you want to support the podcast and me for the price of an oat milk latte, then feel free to buy me a coffee at ko-fi.com forward slash it's
1: And uh, the kids were kind of like brought up as our mates, um, you know, my son used to stay up with us having parties and mm. he- he'd be the dj and all that kind of thing it was terrible parenting i honestly <laughs> um but but back then um we were just all having a laugh because mm. we were just all you know we're young and didn't really know any better it was i don't know if you've ever got shameless you know
0: yes like yes TV. i have yeah it was
1: it was exactly like that yeah and um frank gallagher that was my dad's uh, my son's dad basically right um yeah so so it was like shameless mm. um, but now my son's um, 29 and he, honestly, I'm not joking you, he's like the most level-headed, sensible person and so yeah. loving and understanding. Um, I don't really know how that's happened. Oh, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, he, I just haven't ever had to worry about him because he's mm. not like I was when um, he was that age. Yeah. Um, he wasn't like me, so I never had to worry about him.
0: Yeah, so do, do you feel like... Um and obviously it it sounded like it was quite an open um like relationship with your son with your son in that way and like so do you think like communication was was something that you obviously you lacked and that kind of you made up for it with your son in a sense
1: yeah i think definitely yeah Mm. so i was just totally honest with him about absolutely everything and i didn't hide anything from him Mm. and the other thing that i also told him was um, the thing that I didn't get from my parents was, was um, the whole careers advice thing or not careers advice just the, just life advice like you know uh, whatever you want to do just do it whatever you feel in your heart that you, that you want to do just go mm. for it and I'll support you so he's done that and he's ended up being a musician wow. and, uh, and yeah, he's, he's basically his whole life revolves around music so he works in the music shop he teaches guitar mm. um, and he's played gigs all over Europe and you know the Albert Hall and he's, he's recorded incredible. at Abbey Studios so he's done really well and um I'm, I'm really pleased for him that he's um, that he's done all the things that he's yeah. done that I didn't manage to when I was growing up you
0: know yeah of course that's amazing so do so you think him being the DJ at your parties when he was younger yeah, had an totally, influence
1: yeah yeah, yeah he yeah. grew up listening to all sorts of music so I yeah. mean his dad is actually still a DJ he's like a punk like a steampunk kind wow. of DJ yeah um so yeah he's totally was into his music from a toddler age
0: oh my gosh yeah, yeah. well that's 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 incredible because i'm the same age i'm 29 so
1: i'm old enough to yeah. be your mother
0: <laughs> 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 oh my god <laughs> oh uh, yeah that's that's funny that is so funny yes it's uh, really
1: funny. <laughs> yeah
0: so uh, crying inside though no no not oh, at yeah, so. all <laughs> <laughs> so in in the book you you talk about how uh, like your your family and your relatives spoke Hakka um quite a lot and i that's something that i had never i'm Hakka chinese but my, my dad's side is anyway and it's something that only very recently i've started to identify with so when people now ask me like where are you from i now say i'm Hakka cantonese whereas like, i used to just go oh, i'm chinese and that's it have you have you felt that like did you ever feel have you ever ad- identified with your hatgar side at all
1: um sharp intake of breath What I think about this. Um, not not really, no. Mm. I haven't really do you know what? First of all I want to say absolute hundred percent total respect to my parents for actually coming over um and starting a business from nothing. I totally respect what they did. Yeah. yeah. Um, I don't want to just be dissing them the whole time because um mm. you know, they uh, you know, they brought us to this country. We were born here and you know, and we've had all the the, the nice life and everything that we may not have had if they hadn't come over mm. um but the culture we really did i mean the only bits of culture that we saw was when my granddad um lit sticks and put put went out to the garden with a table and then put the sticks and the oranges out mm. um he used to try and explain to us what was going on but we were like oh, okay yeah okay. <laughs> we didn't quite know um we had the moon cakes and all that and then there was the the chinese new year with a with a bow and then mm. um and all that kind which was our favorite part of the year, because we get loads of money. Um, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: But the hatgou side of things, the only time I actually that became apparent was when we did have friends and family around, because they all spoke Cantonese. Like mm. all of my closest relatives, my cousins down the road, they all spoke, spoke Cantonese. Mm. So um, So when they came around, we couldn't understand them, because the only Chinese we knew was Hatgau anyway. I mean, mm. we didn't know any other Hatgau speakers hardly. Yeah. So we couldn't really communicate even with friends and family. We couldn't mean really to talk to anyone. So while I was I think while I was growing up, I wished that we'd spoke Cantonese yeah. so that we could have um communicated with more people.
0: Mm. Um
1: because it was even more isolating. The fact that yeah. you know, my 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 family, my parents, weren't involved in any kind of community things, you know, like Chinese school or you know, clubs. Mad jock was the only thing that <laughs> had people around every now and again to play mad jock. Yeah. Um uh, so we were isolated already. But mm. then speaking
0: hat we
1: were even more isolated. Mm. Yeah, yeah, of course.
0: Yeah. I can't speak it. Like, I can understand... I can understand... M- I'd say about fifty percent. I don't know. Like I'm not around it enough. Only my auntie speaks it, and my mom speaks it to my aunties. Oh, um, so you're
1: just you're Cantonese speaking.
0: I'm Cantonese speaking. Yeah. Oh,
1: so all the words that I just said then were <laughs> wasted. No, no, no. It makes sense. <laughs> I can I can oh, understand did. it. Yeah. Oh, I can. Yeah. It's oh, actually good, quite good. surprising
0: because um one of my friends Carly, she's in her early twenties, uh, and both of her parents are Hakka, and they speak it a lot at home. She she is so fluent in Hakka. And she's the first generation, like, first person of my generation that I've met that I'm like, you know how to speak Hakka? Because I Cause I, I, oh. I, just assumed it was older people that know how to speak it because I know it's oh. a dying language. Um, yeah, and then yeah. when she was speaking, I was like, I actually understand what you're saying. I didn't realise oh. I could. Because I've always thought, I'll just speak Cantonese and I, that's the only language I can hear and understand. And when she was pe- speaking, I was like, I know what you're saying.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I, yeah. That actually
0: makes sense. Th- yeah. There's, qu- there's some similarities, isn't there? Yeah, yeah.
1: There is some similarities. Um, I, I always... Find uh, it's quite surprising. Like if I'm in a supermarket or whatever, and I hear mm. and I and I kind of like to earwig when I see like um you know Asian or Chinese looking people in the supermarket. Now I'll have a little listen and see what language is are speaking. <laughs> and if they speak Hakka, I'm like, oh my god, they speak Hakka! Oh! But then, but then the next thought I have is well I couldn't like join in the conversation oh, even if I wanted to do you know what yeah, I mean yeah
0: I know I could
1: to them and have a conversation yeah
0: so same it. she my friend yeah. actually told me the story that um because there's a lot of um Chinese people who went over to uh, the Caribbean um during like the slave trade times and uh, so there's a lot of Chinese Jamaicans Hakka Chinese Jamaicans around and um my friend went to Florida and she was in McDonald's this is Carly ordering a McDonald's and then um there was a black man serving them at the counter and then they were all speaking. In Hakka to one another, seeing what they would like, and then he was like, "I understand what you're saying because my grandma was Chinese, and she she spoke wow. Hakka, and it was just so cool wow. that like you yeah, know you yeah. just wouldn't assume that a black man will be able to understand Hakka, but actually there's so many of us all over the world. That's amazing. Yeah, that's so amazing. It, it is incredible. Uh, have you
1: have you seen that guy on YouTube, Xiao ja- Man Y C, or whatever it's called? No, I don't think I have. Ari Ari Smith, I think that's his right. His, but he's a white American guy, right? And he lives in New York, and he goes into Chinatown, and oh. he obviously mean, you know where he just yeah. kind of like goes to the barbers or the grocery shop or whatever, and he'll be speaking in English, yeah. and then halfway through he just bursts out into this perfect Mandarin, yeah, and everyone's yeah. like, oh, oh my god. <laughs> did you learn that Look, like, it's perfect yeah and actually it really inspired me because i'm thinking well it took him 10 years to learn perfect mandarin and i'm like well maybe i could do that yeah way. of course and
0: exactly that's the thing like you see like white people doing it. it's like well why can't i yeah. learn it then you know
1: yeah. mind you saying that i think he's some kind of genius because like i've seen all of his other videos where he's like learning korean in 24 hours and stuff like no that. i think he's just like kind of a propensity kind of to learn really, really quickly yeah yeah
0: he's quite uh, i think he's quite a conflicting person because i think a lot of people are like why should that be kind of celebrated that a, a white man is speaking the language of like, you know, something that billions of us speak every single day, Yeah, uh, and yeah, you know, because the norm is English, you know, your default yeah. is English. And yeah. so when you yeah. see a white person speaking another language, it's somehow celebrated, yeah. but when we speak it, yeah. we're vilified for it and made yeah. fun of, yeah. yeah, you know. That's
1: very true. I think it's got something to do with the fact that, I mean, English is an international language and has been for like, mm. you know, centuries, hasn't it really? So yeah more international it has been longer yeah and chinese is notoriously and i think it's is it chinese japanese and korean some of the hardest languages to learn as well because it's Mm. lots of the same sound sounds but different intonations
0: yeah so the tones are quite different and i still get them messed up like I, my tone is terrible like you can tell straight away when i speak cantonese (laughs) that i'm not from i'm not a native speaker um yeah and i think it only comes with practice like i've been living at home with my mom for over a year now and it's certainly improved because i can actually like hear i can she corrects me and then i can hear her speaking more in chinese to her friends and i'll pick up some words whereas like living away in london and like away just away from the family home and not being around it you just lose it so quickly you
1: know if there's not
0: that communication yeah Mm. And
1: all, I just want to say as well, um, I just want to thank all the readers of Chinglish that have contacted me since the book was published last year. Mm. Because I have, I honestly, to, honest to God, and I, this is actually quite shameful. Really, kind of was repelled by everything Chinese mm. up until I wrote the book because oh. it had given me such grief. Okay, because yeah. mm. it was a Chinese part of me that had given me all the hassle, like all the racism and like my parents giving me all the you know jit. Yeah, and and I just didn't want to know about it. Mm. I just and I but, but at the same time I was trying to fit into being Western and I, I thought I was, but really I wasn't. <laughs> um, so kind of in this sort of like um limbo, mm. um, and it wasn't until the book was published and then so many people started messaging me from around the world, even like the diaspora um from mm. Canada and New Zealand Australia, saying thanks for opening up this conversation uh about um, your, your your life and how it's resonated with me because i we did exactly the same thing. I, I had no idea yeah. that um, all the people that had emigrated from Hong Kong mm. in the fifties, sixties they all opened catering, like, um, you know, restaurants and takeaways, yeah, in all these different countries. Uh, yeah. I didn't know I was living in a little bubble in Coventry on my own, yeah. thinking I was all on my own oh. and why me and all of them <laughs> and because I didn't know what was going on mm. in the next town, even, yeah. let alone the next yeah. and with other Chinese people. So, when they started contacting me and telling me, we did this as well, and, and you know, we worked in the kitchen. and we had the community communication problems, so we had to face all these racism from customers. Mm. And I was like, what, really? Because I was kind of just writing this book from my own, in my own mind, from my own life. And I I didn't know about
0: everybody else's life that's so interesting and it, you, this book has done so much to like bring a community together all over the world which is so powerful do you know that having that sense of belonging and that you're not alone in, in the, this experience since obviously lockdown and covid and everything that's happened has the has the reception of the book has it kind of increased more with more people reading the book or getting in touch
1: um I- Well, it's just been like a steady stream of people getting in touch Mm. with me actually since the book was published, like Mm. I get at least, um, you know, two people a week messaging me saying, you know, I've just read your book, thank you very much. I mean, it's not just the Chinese community, but, um, you know, you've got Western people writing in as well, you know, um, relating to things like the mental health, domestic violence, bullying. Mm. not fitting in identity crisis teen mm. just general teen angst even mm. um but i also have um parents writing in i actually have had quite a lot of parents writing in saying that their reluctant reader son or daughter yeah. has read this you know picked this book up and they've just gone rushed right through it yeah.
0: um
1: and they never read anything ever and oh. thanking me for that wow. so i'm i'm quite pleased about that as well you know getting yeah. um reluctant readers to read Um, And I think, you know, because it's quite a heavily illustrated book as well. Yeah. I think that actually helps. Mm -hmm. Um, So, uh, yeah, I mean, I had no idea what sort of impact the book would have. I wasn't even thinking about that. Mm. I was just thinking at the time, I was thinking, this is therapy. This is therapy. This is free. I don't have to pay for therapy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because I'm I'm doing it all now on
0: my own. Yeah, it's uh, cathartic. I, I can imagine. Yeah. Like, I think I certainly, the podcast for me is is almost a form of that. It's free therapy where you're just talking and talking and talking yeah. and things yeah. just come out and then you're like, never thought about that before because you haven't yeah. given it the time or the space to really dedicate yeah. to thinking yeah. about a specific yeah. time or incident.
1: Yeah, I think these podcasts, they are brilliant for just, just getting everything out, you know, mm. and, and chatting and guessing and, and just... <laughs> Going with the flow and just speaking what's what's, you know, on your mind. I think yeah.
0: they're great. Yeah, I find yeah. myself talking to myself quite a lot now. <laughs>
1: like when I'm just oh, like really?
0: Yeah, when I'm in the car driving. <laughs> right, I'm okay, thinking about
1: that's, that's worrying.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I maybe I should go see someone about that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, or maybe but...
1: you
0: should do a podcast about that. <laughs> I do I do that like quite a yeah. lot. It's really odd. Um so in in terms of your relationship with your parents then, so do you do you ever feel like they're do they know about the book? Do they know that you've published a book?
1: Well, okay, so this is <laughs> this is a bit of a strange one as well because mm. they didn't know that I was writing the book all the way through, mm. and then and then uh, towards the end of writing the book, I, I was ready to throw the towel in because I was like, uh, I don't know whether I can get published this because mm. my parents don't know about it. I'm airing all of our dirty laundry basically. Am I going to make the relationship with my parents worse? And then I was like well it can't get any worse than it is already yeah then I got in touch with um another author who who grew up with sort of similar circumstances abusive kind of parents Mm, mm. um she and uh, she said to me this is this is your story you deserve to tell it you know this is your version of the story and you know you haven't made anything up this is just all true
0: yeah
1: you deserve to tell it and I was like yeah you're right actually Mm. okay and it's kind of what got me through to the end and then it got published, and I had still hadn't talked to them. Mm. And then um, my publisher wanted some um, character references um, from my aunties, so I wrote to them, and I hadn't contacted them for ages either. Mm. I, I picked two of my aunties that were like English speakers, obviously, because um,
0: yeah,
1: um, yeah, so, so I could communicate with them. Mm. And uh, they—I don't think that I don't know if they read the book all the way through because they came back to away going, "Oh my God, well done, congratulations!"
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> they just heard was like, it was yeah about
1: did you read all the other the documents Ooh. yeah anyway um so um then one of my aunties i don't know maybe both of my aunties actually got in touch with my parents and then uh, on a very one of those rare occasions that i speak to my speak i'm doing like air quotes mm. <laughs> uh, speak to my parents um on the phone because yeah. really, we don't understand each other at all anyway. Yeah. But the little, that's why the book's called Chinglish, because we have to kind of cobble together the very small amounts of Chinese and English that we do know yeah. in order to make sure they understood. Mm. So during one of these conversations, my dad said, Oh, I heard you wrote a book. Um, congratulations. First of all, I was like, Oh no, he, as he read it. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I was thinking, He's congratulating me. He's never done that ever, ever, ever. Yeah. Um, so I um, so still to this day don't know whether he's read it. My mum won't have because she can't read English. Mm. Um, but, you know, I, I've painted them in a good light. I, I've, I've actually told everything. So I've painted them in a good their good light as well. I've said the yeah. nice things.
0: Yeah, there, there's, certainly, there's certainly parts of the book where I felt like they try to communicate their love through, you know, acts of service and through doing things and on the odd occasion when there was some kind of some happy moment, so I certainly felt like there was there were there were times when I saw that um and that's why I think it was so unexpected when you mentioned about the the incident where he you, your dad was abusive towards you um mm. why it was so shocking because I, whilst I could see that there was obviously some something going on with your parents and there was a, a lack of communication and, and, and you know he had anger issues etc I didn't expect to take such a dark turn because there were really happy moments like with the goats and with like you know yeah. him with the bird and like a, be- yeah. a bird and everything else like yeah.
1: that's why we were such such mixed up as kids mm. so mixed up as kids because we were like mm. you know some of the I really really am glad though that I grew up in that family because there were so many Um, funny and exciting and eccentric and mad moments you know Mm. I'd rather have done that than growing up in a family that was boring
0: do you know what I mean (laughs) yeah
1: Um, so that was really good Um, and so when the good times were good they were really really good Mm. but uh, when they were bad they were crap do you know what I mean yeah Um, so yeah it was very mixed up um, um, like a bit of a roller coaster really
0: well we're gonna move on to the last part of the segment it's called How Asian Are You which I'll I'll play you the theme tune and this is meant to be just a bit of a tongue-in-cheek poking fun at the stereotypes of uh, being Asian and uh, it's not meant to make anyone feel less Asian or more Asian it's just a bit of fun (laughs) Okay (laughs) How Asian (laughs) <laughs> I love that dancing there. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciated that. So essentially I'm gonna dancing. ask you <laughs> I'm going to ask you five questions and if you can answer yes, then you get a point. And if you don't, then you, you don't get a point. So okay. I'm thinking about scrapping the segment after this last one because okay. I feel like it's because oh, I feel because like it's I'm gonna, gonna, gonna kill get it. okay. No no no, because I feel like it's gonna get problematic. Because I've done this basically oh. for every single episode and I'm like at some stage it's gonna get problematic and it's gonna piss some people off <laughs> oh, right okay but <laughs> yeah right. hopefully it won't,
1: they won't i won't piss me off
0: <laughs> question number one do <laughs> yeah. you have a cupboard full of asian ingredients at home
1: oh my god you know what i've got half a cupboard half of a asian covers yes yeah. do i get half a point? <laughs>
0: yeah no you can get a point for that because i think <gasps> i'd have half a cupboard because I, I wouldn't have fully fully asian everything but like yeah, i know no, well it's yeah. it's the spice cupboard you see yeah ah uh, yes yeah, so it's a mixture a mixture it's of like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a continental <laughs> spice with like lots. Yes, yeah not just asian but other things as well
1: that's right and then the top rack is all the asian stuff <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah you get a point
0: for that that's cool it, yeah but it's mostly sushi
1: making gear
0: ah okay yeah yeah Yeah. Japanese stuff yeah Yeah. (laughs) okay fair enough yeah you get a point
1: interesting question
0: (laughs) (laughs) question number two do you take your shoes off and wear slippers at home when you come into the house
1: yes yes but that's Mm. more of a comfort thing I think more rather than a an Asian thing because when we yeah yeah, because we never took our shoes off at home when I was growing up
0: in the takeaway though, downstairs or upstairs no
1: Oh, yeah. uh, no. Uh, downstairs, definitely wore shoes. Because yeah. you're not hot. <laughs> if you're over your bare feet. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um,
1: upstairs, um, uh, oh, do you know what? can't remember. Mm. can't remember. Yeah. What,
0: where? I guess because <laughs> so, when you're in takeaway, it's different, isn't it? Than being in like a, you know, like a, a house type of thing where you just go oh, into your know house. what?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, because we had stairs going. We had stairs in the kitchen, a, a door that yeah. went straight up and um, in the corner before you went up the stairs there was a whole load of, I just remember now there's a whole bunch of shoes so we must have took our shoes off right. before we went up
0: yeah, yeah 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 no I was, I was gonna say like it's quite rare I think if you if you, you can keep your shoes on in an Asian household <laughs> on carpet you get a point for that see well done <laughs> oh my gosh <laughs> question number three that,
1: brought back a, that just brought back a really weird odd memory of the really corner of
0: <laughs> like yeah and it's quite interesting how like, you could you you remembered it visually like you remembered like yeah. the, the shoes in the corner of the the room as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> um question number three have you ever tried to kid yourself that you're white and not chinese
1: oh in when i was a teenager definitely yeah yeah when i was mm. doing all the whole kind of I want to look like madonna stuff and then i'll sort of try and dye my hair and back then yeah when you did home dyeing mm. with, with black hair you can only get it orange yeah when you bleach it yeah so yeah. I, I used to have like an orange fringe nice and then nice. spray it with hairspray like um uh simon levon out of duran duran lovely um and that that bit's in the book as well actually because yeah. i went down, went downstairs after doing that and my mum just went your head looks like a chicken's ass <laughs> So, so funny i was like oh so insulted
0: um <laughs> did she say it in chinese yes
1: she said yeah. it in chinese I, I understood that
0: yeah that's so funny <laughs> that, all right and she she was laughing wasn't she was she like oh Well, no, she... thing
1: she thing thing is with my mum she says these things but she just she doesn't mean them as jokes she just mm. says what she thinks
0: right think yeah we... she's very you know frank I mean? yeah very very yes. honest and frank and without yes. filters that's right, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs>
1: That's so but funny. Yeah, and with the whole there was the whole oh, I wish I had a, a, a more kind of western nose as well. So I used to do the whole kind of shading. Yeah. You know, you used to contour both sides of your nose. Yeah. And then put the white stripe down the middle.
0: Yeah, it's this still a trend now though. Like and even yeah. like yeah, with like contouring, like I used to contour my Cheeks here because I, yeah. I like I feel like I've got quite like puffy cheeks, but then actually it doesn't work for Asian faces because we've got high cheekbones and so we don't need right. to do that contouring. Because the reason why you do oh. the contouring in the first place is to try yeah. to achieve higher cheekbones. So I was oh, told this right. by a makeup artist, and then they were like, "You don't need to contour because oh. you've, you've got was that." It all
1: too late by then.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like the nose thing, I've definitely done it before. Like I, sometimes oh, I still right. do it now. Actually, just every so often to put a bit of shading on the side of my oh, nose. Okay. To make okay. it look taller and i used to get my oh. parents used to tell me to like pinch my nose to make it taller oh my god! yeah which is like so damaging because yeah. it's like well that's just the shape of my nose like i oh, can't change yeah. that <laughs> i literally that's can't
1: weird change it Where that your parents would suggest that though why, why oh. were they doing why were they suggesting that
0: I, I guess it comes down to like um asian perception of beauty and how oh, like right. they you know a lot of um Asian people want to assimilate and look like white people. So you want to whiten the skin, you want to have like a taller bridge, you want to have bigger eyes so they'll get eyelid surgery. Uh, So it all goes back to like trying to look Western um which
1: that's that's actually a thing and it still is a thing
0: is it i think it is i think it is quite prevalent yeah i think it is really prevalent you know they they like colorism like they favor lighter skinned people um and then obviously like body weight i think was a big thing is is, is still a big issue now in terms of like just the standards of um sizing is very different in in asia as opposed to you know in, in the uk like in when i go to hong kong i'm seen as large you know oh, which is right. just wild because in over here i'm a size eight i'm petite but then yeah. in hong kong i'm yeah i'm I, I have to wear large clothes large size clothes yeah. like a, oh my god yeah yeah and then like you know my relatives would say things like um you need to lose weight i remember or...
1: when my sister first moved to australia mm. because i i am um actually just under five foot tall yeah. right yeah <laughs> just on like, tiny tiny yeah. so my sister's about the same size as me when mm. she moved over to australia she couldn't find anything that fit her really? she, has, she has to wear she has to wear kids boys clothes
0: oh my gosh really yeah
1: yeah
0: wow yeah. That, that's she must save a lot of money though uh, yeah she does <laughs> she, yeah it must be a lot she, cheaper. Looks, like a, she looks like a little boy <laughs> <laughs> but the is she looks like a little boy that's okay yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good luck, <laughs> so, little boy. I guess you get a point for that. Then. Oh my god, I'm getting points. Brilliant. you oh, all the points. Question number yay. four: Do you ever walk past an Asian person and give them a small nod of acknowledgement? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. I try not to do the full
0: nod. <laughs> <laughs> not the full nod.
1: Not the full nod, but okay. I do the kind of like uh, 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 the kind of like the glance up, so that I make eye contact and look quickly. <laughs>
0: yeah i know what you mean it's it's kind of awkward isn't it you, yeah yeah you yeah sp- and
1: you, but you do get that recognition and you both know it i don't know it's like an unsaid thing but it's yeah. an energetic thing i think it is isn't it um yeah, yeah where both of you acknowledge the same yeah yes. <laughs> yes you are one of my kind yes
0: yes yeah but you <laughs> it's so rare that you'd strike conversation with someone an asian person walking down the street like it's very rare but there is yeah. that kind of like like i just do a polite smile almost yeah
1: yeah, yeah. i know <laughs> it's funny. weird you should say that oh my gosh i thought it was just between me and the person that i was like <laughs> glancing at but everyone does it oh my god it's funny
0: that's so funny last question have you ever become been compared to your siblings or you know your posh cousins that you talk about in the in the book by elder relatives yeah well that
1: happened all the time when i was younger mm. my mum used to do it all the time well, why can't you be more like your cousins why can't you be more like them
0: yeah
1: um and uh and that, that really makes you feel so worthless doesn't it
0: yeah, it, yeah. Makes, it
1: makes you just feel like well what about aren't i good enough then you yeah know? Mm. um especially on top of um with my parents especially um you know i don't know whether it, 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 I, I think it was partly cultural but um mm. so i think my parents were an exception i think they both were um very kind of negative people and um so on top of the everyday kind of negativity that they'd kind of place upon us yeah, there yeah would also be the whole comparison thing as well so mm. i don't think they ever gave us any words of encouragement you know it's really yeah. really awful thinking back now yeah um so yeah the comparison thing they de- well my mum definitely did my dad didn't because he just didn't like t- talking anyway like i said mm um so yeah I guess that's that, like you were saying before that's the one thing that compelled me to never be like that to my own son you know mm. so I always say to him never compare him to anybody else like you do you're you know you're great at what you do and mm.
0: whatever you want to do then do it and I'll support back you the whole way do you know? yeah what I mean? yeah yeah, it's, it can be damaging when you look back. Like, I think I experienced that obviously not to the level that you did with your with your parents because, you know, I'm very lucky that I, I have uh, and had great relationships with my with both of my parents in, in a lot of ways. Not to say that there wasn't issues because certainly there is, but, um, you know, in terms of that comparison, it, it did definitely happen. Um, whether they were it, intending to make you feel a certain way, because I think the intention of them saying like why can't you be like them or you know they're so great you know their kids are doing so well they're a doctor they're a lawyer is kind of almost a way to try to motivate someone into doing better but then actually it just makes you feel shit doesn't it (laughs)
1: yeah it does yeah and Um, and you know it wasn't until I was like um very you know in my into my adulthood that I realized that they could only parent the way that they knew how at the time mm. it wasn't their fault mm. it was the way they were brought up and it was the way yeah. what their beliefs were and yeah. their values. and uh, they weren't to know any better but mm. when you're a kid that doesn't help do you know yeah. what i
0: mean mm.
1: y- you just think oh this is just the worst life ever yeah. kill me now kind of thing but um but yeah back then you're a kid you don't understand why your parents are like that mm. it's only until you're older that you realize well they didn't know any better so mm. i forgive them. I've completely forgiven them, them now. I yeah. really wish that I could um, reconcile with them in some way. Mm. I think the only ways I'm going to have to learn Cantonese that's going to probably take 10 years.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so in 10 years' time, there's going to be Chinglish sequel <laughs> where you reconnect with the parents. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. yeah, one day I hope that... But the thing is, the last few times I have got in touch with them, mm. I've been with them, it's just been like awful. Like so, mm. I, I love them, but I just can't be with them. Mm. They're they're so toxic. Yeah, and they yeah. just make life a misery. Mm. And um, and it's but it's not their fault. I understand that. Yeah, they just can't be around each other. Mm. Um, but yeah, you mentioned the sequel for Chinglish, so there is going to be one. I haven't started writing it yet, mm. but the publishers have asked for the sequel.
0: Mm. Um,
1: so yeah, I just tr- get myself mentally prepared for yeah. For that all that you know—the downward downwards that happens after Chinglish One—but um, but again, happy ending because now you know I've, I've written the book. This is me now, so I've written the book and the yeah. one
0: as well. So yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I'm I'm really glad to hear that there is there is a, a happy ending. But also, we really just fascinated and really admire your your story of what I know so far. I think it's. You you must have heard this so much, but just incredible how you've managed to build a life for yourself and become so, so significant and so important in the publishing industry, especially to British Chinese people and, and as a children's author, I think it's incredible and... Yeah, really in awe of, of all the work that you do. So, yeah, thank you for bringing oh. this to our to our world. It really means thank a lot.
1: Very, oh, that's, thank you very much um, for that. I mean, again, it wasn't intentional, but I'm really, really pleased mm. that it has, has actually helped so many people and will still continue to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, if anything, writing this book has done that, then I'm happy you know yeah
0: cuz you've spoken your truth you know and and that is so powerful all you've done is tell your story but then it's done in such a way where so many people can connect to it and it's it's come from a place of passion and and good intention and you didn't plan to make a difference but you have done by proxy of doing this and i think that's incredible you know when you start off with a good intention of just telling a story then you don't have any expectations in terms of like what's going to lead from that and and how it's going to affect people but it truly has so so yeah it's... oh good i'm so glad <laughs> you oh, actually, thank you you get a five out of five points as well for the oh, for the how asian are you so wow. you're so for asian someone who,
1: for someone who thinks they're completely not asian at all <laughs> and that, that's actually very good isn't it <laughs> well done there's no yeah, price. I am. I am actually embracing my um Chinese, my Asianness, my Chinese ness um right now because um mm. just from everybody contacting me after I wrote the book, and and I kind of like um tentatively then just started, you know, going on Facebook forums and things like that and mm. connecting with uh, British Chinese people because I still felt like I was an outsider yeah. and I was like I don't deserve, I don't belong in this group. I don't. Yeah. I'm not Chinese or Asian enough to contribute or mm. to offer anything to these mm. groups or anything like that. Um, so I'm still kind of standing on the sidelines there, right. but I'm very slowly working my way in and, and connecting, you know, yeah. like with people like yourself and everything. Yeah. And it's really, it's lovely because I'm, it's, it's helping me to embrace the Chinese side of me mm. more, mm. which I think, you know, is a long time coming um, because I've just spent so long kind of, Pushing it to one yeah. side, um, and so in that respect, it's making me feel more whole mm. again, mm. Um, which is some you know, which is a big part that's been missing. Yeah, in my life the yeah. whole, whole time.
0: Yeah, that's lovely. So, that's the, great.
1: so the, the work that you're doing as well, especially with BC is incredible too
0: oh thank you so much and I think I I echo your sentiments in that I certainly haven't felt Chinese a large part of my life you know it was always a sub part of my life almost like the family side and I think finding my community and reaching out to people and and doing the podcast and with be seen as well never felt stronger and I think like your identity isn't stagnant and it's fluid and it can change and sometimes you might feel more British sometimes you might feel more Chinese in certain circumstances but that's the beauty of two cultures to together as, you know, you experience both and both are still valid. You are still Chinese no matter what your upbringing is. You are still Chinese and that can take any way, shape or form. There's no set prototype mould in how to be Chinese. And I think that's. I've certainly learned that just by speaking to a wide range of not just Chinese people, but East Asians and Southeast Asians that I've met along the way that our experiences, whilst we bond over so many like shared cultural experiences, equally, there's so many differences and that should be celebrated as well. I think it's it's yeah. really beautiful that we have all these disparities as well as all the similarities in mm-hmm. our cultures.
1: That's so Mm. well put and that's so lovely to hear as well. I think I needed to hear that actually. (laughs) The fact that it can take any shape or form. It doesn't have to be one set thing, which is what I always Mm. thought. Mm. I always thought I don't belong there because I'm not like that. Mm. But actually you can be lots of different things um, between your two cultures. Mm. A whole spectrum of things, can't you? Exactly.
0: Um,
1: And and, yeah, I've I've kind of just only just learned that. So Mm. thank you for that. (laughs)
0: well, well <laughs> honestly
1: <laughs> sincerely thank you
0: oh, where can people find you then on social
1: media um
0: oh oh not like hanging around on the street <laughs> <games>. <laughs> maybe if you want to if you wanted to put yourself out there that's cool too
1: um where can they find me well they can find me um so i am on twitter instagram mm-hmm. and i don't i don't do facebook that much um, but i'm also um suchung.co.uk mm-hmm that's my website um and um i don't do any blogs or vlogs or anything like that um yeah so because i'm actually really busy writing at the moment that just takes all my time up Mm.
0: um so yeah so that's me amazing well thank you sue like thank you so much again absolute pleasure and really really happy to have had you on i can't believe you even said yes i was just like oh my gosh she said yes to coming <laughs> on
1: the podcast you know I'm what? so pleased
0: I'm always up for a chat you know? <laughs> oh I love a chat <laughs> oh, oh I appreciate it